0: This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers Podcast. CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Welcome back to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast. While we usually talk about some aspect of cannabis, today we're focusing more on the boomer side of the story with our guest Ashton Applewhite, whose most recent book is This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism, and it is available at Amazon. We know that as boomers, we are part of what is so far the largest generation ever. Almost 76 million of us were born between 1946 and 1964. In many ways, we are a generation of rule breakers. The 60s were about breaking out of traditional roles. And since then, we've redefined work life and gender roles in a number of ways. Today, we're going to talk about redefining aging itself. So welcome, Ashton. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, Let's start by finding out where you are today.
1: I am in hot and steamy... Brooklyn New York where we've had a very cool summer but and I'm a hot and steamy summer lover but man we are all holed up with our air conditioning today
0: oh I hear that uh, San Diego's been very humid this year too uh, that's where I am today and uh, ready to turn the page into September and cool off a little bit
1: all right. I never want to say no to summer
0: no no for sure. <laughs> In your book, you know, you talk a lot about the the myths of ageism, and there are many of those. You also pose a, a simple question to baby boomers. Do you actually wish you could go back to your youth and start over? And for me, you know, I thought about it. The answer is no. And why not? Well, you know, I think we all get to this age. and We realize we're probably more comfortable with ourselves now, more forgiving and tolerant, both of ourselves and others. Uh, and, and that's a pretty big advantage of aging.
1: Yeah. I mean, I... I... I've only met one person who thought about it hard and says, yes, everyone you say, would you want to be younger? And everyone's face lights up and they're like, yeah, wait, because I mean, sometimes I have to say, you know, you don't, you don't get to just like swap out the battered bits. You have to actually, you know, erase the time in between now and wherever you want to move the marker back to. And no one wants to, no matter how unenlightened they are about the, 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 the bias and fear about aging that we all have no matter no matter if they haven't even begun to look at where those messages come from and what purpose they serve even they do not want to be younger because we know logically and even you know spiritually that we are the product of all those experiences you know it was that horrible you know math teacher or bully in elementary school or or you know being the fairy princess and, you know, experiences, good and bad, that shape us. And also, I think some, sometimes we forget in this youth-obsessed culture, being young is hard. You know, your 20s are supposed to be like peak everything. It's really hard to be in your 20s and try and figure out, you know, your, your, maybe your, your sexual direction, your professional direction, your financial direction. And uh, I wouldn't go back to that for, for a million years.
0: Right, yeah.
1: A million dollars, I mean.
0: I don't know if it's a Stoic philosophy, but as, as we go, we get stronger and better.
1: Well, we get stronger. I mean, I will say that I'm not, you know, there's a whole sort of branch of sort of pe- people who work in this field that, would call, that call it positive aging, if you will. Also guide, goes by the name successful aging, which I really dislike for reasons I'm happy to talk about. And I want to make it clear I'm not a Pollyanna about aging. There are aspects of aging that are difficult Um, you know, running out of money, getting sick, ending up alone. And those fears are legitimate and real. What I want to make sure though, is that we hear both sides of the story, right? And what never occurs to most of us is that the culture in which we grow old uh, has a lot to do with how we perceive aging. And that has, that shapes our, that shapes our ideas. And it, it fuels our fears for, to oversimplify a little bit, but if aging is framed as a problem, then we can be persuaded to buy things to fix it in air quotes. And if we think aging is a disease, we can be persuaded to buy things to stop it or cure it. And it's not a disease or a problem. It's this natural, powerful process that every single human being is embarked on from the beginning of time that, that has challenging things about it. But there's only two inevitable bad things about getting older. People you've known all your life are going to die and some part of your body is going to fall apart and that is not good. That is not better. My knees are not better than they used to be, but there are also all kinds of benefits, growth, development, experience, perspective. We get better at managing our, our emotions and of course it's different for each of us. Let's talk about that too because all those things are better. And that is why no one wants to be actually any younger, because we realize we're the sum of all those experiences. They're hard won. We actually learned a thing or two along the way. We also had some painful experiences. We're not dying to repeat. Hopefully we we got a little smarter. And um, so here we are, you know, on this journey.
0: Something you mentioned right there was the notion of positive aging sort of has a baked in connotation that it's all negative, right?
1: Well, the idea of of positive and successful aging sort of cropped up in the late 20th century as an antidote to the notion that everything about aging was awful and equated with senility, which is not a word you hear anymore, and your body falling apart and you becoming, you know, sexless and sort of um, tottering off stage. So it was, con- and and one reason for those myths was that um, people people are living a lot longer. A lot of the research on older people was originally conducted in nursing homes and um, what old pe- old people's homes, I guess they called them then, where much of the population was indeed sick and debilitated. So people extrapolated from that to sort of equate aging with disability, when in fact we are aging from the day we're born, right? You know. 40 year olds already can't, can't run as fast and do things the way they used to when they were younger. It's not like we, I think we live in terror that someday we're going to wake up old, which is not me. I'm not old. And, uh, you know, and then we're not going to be able to move and everything's going to be awful. And in fact, both the good and the bad, you know, wax and wane across our entire life course, including adolescence. Right. Um, so in that sense, positive aging was a, was a good antidote to these sort of, Uh, very negative stereotypes of the, you know, the grandpa bent over with the ear trumpet, you know, who can't hear anything. Um, But I think it can go too far when it is another phrase that it's allied with is successful aging, that aging became something to succeed or fail at, which is sort of nutty, because I say if you wake up in the morning, you are aging successfully. A lot of the the doctrine, and you see this in a ton of websites. you see it all over AARPs magazine, is this idea of aging successfully being these you know silver maned couples either you know walking on the beach forever. I don't know how they can find the time for all that that beach time, but they do, or waltzing on the cruise deck if they're wealthier, and looking fabulous. And the idea behind successful aging is really that how well you are aging has to do with how much you succeed at looking and moving like a younger version of yourself. And the fact is that that's illusory. You know, no one, we we are all changing. So it holds you up. I mean, it's sort of weird. We have this idea that the goal is to learn and adapt and grow as we move through life. And then suddenly, north of, I don't know, you tell me, 40, 50, everyone wants to know like, where does old begin? Um, Suddenly, the goal becomes like, whoa, stop the clock. Don't, like dig in with your with your fingernails and your heels and don't let anything change. And of course, that's impossible. It sets us up to fail. It fills us with fear. And it pits us against each other because we're constantly seeing how we're doing compared to everyone else, especially women who are judged much more harshly for our appearance, so that's doubly punitive and it's expensive. You know, a lot of the remedies and activities like leisure, like going to the gym, like eating really healthy food, those are not available to people who are not well off. So it also perpetuates this enormous class divide. And then suppose I'm aging better than you. You know, you're my, you're my best friend since high school, or you're my neighbor down the hall, but you start to have some cognitive deficits, or you start to not be able to walk as fast as me. What do we do? How do we maintain that relationship which presumably is, remains precious to both of us if one of us is failing or one of us isn't playing the game as well. You know, it also tears to, you know, pulls at those human bonds that are incredibly important you know, as human beings. And uh, just one more fact, it turns out that the, the most important indicator of a good old age is not how wealthy we are or how healthy we are both of those really surprised me. I was so skeptical when I started learning about all this. It's whether or not we have a good social network. It is ties to other people that make life worth living and that give it meaning and never more than in our later years.
0: You talk about it's a cultural mindset. You know, we, we have these messages all around us that uh, aging is is a, a minefield of bad things. And of course, when you swim in that long enough, you begin to internalize it. And uh the answer is not to deny that you're aging, but to come to some kind of graceful acceptance of it.
1: I, w- I would even delete the graceful, having never been graceful, but I would say <laughs> step number one is just acknowledge it
0: mm-hmm. because
1: because ageism, ageism is prejudice and stereotyping on the basis of age, and it takes root in denial. If you pretend you're never going to get old, then you never start to come to terms with it, gracefully or not, Right. Mm-hmm. And and so the and all prejudice ta- it takes root in what sociologists called othering, turning the other group, a group of people, other color, other religion, other sports team, other end of the hallway into a group that's separate from you. And then they become less human. They, it, it, and their, their welfare becomes less of a human right. They seem less like you, so you feel less empathy, and it's easier to turn your back on them and even treat them badly. The weird thing about ageism is that that other is your own future self. Yes. You, it is a prejudice, right? It's so weird and so illogical, I used to say, but I don't say that anymore because no prejudice is logical right it's that it is not your best self that is prejudice it's not your rational self you know we, we know that group X is not lazy and group Y is not made up of criminals, and Group Z doesn't you know do awful things to their babies. We know this if we if we look it up and learn if we don't let our emotions get the better of us and but with ageism that that prejudice is against our own future older self, so the way to either get off this hamster wheel of age denial or not get on it in the first place is to become what I call become an old person in training or you know which is just a a trick phrase really but a way a, a trick of imagining of realizing that you will someday be old you can you can have that older you as far off on the horizon as you need it to be but to acknowledge that that is what lies ahead and to look around you Instead of looking past older people, or, or perhaps even looking away from them in—I hate to say it—but maybe even disgust or horror—to see what about them horrifies you, pleases you. What do they? How are they behaving? You know, in a way that you think, "Oh, that I could do that too," or "I really want to try and not have that happen to me." Right? And that breaks down this othering. Then you are—you get off that trap, and you start to to see older people and all their incredible. Diversity I mean all prejudice is based on stereotyping right all stereotyping is obviously dopey for the reasons I just said But it is especially dopey when it comes to age because the longer we live The more different from one another we become the doctors say heterogeneity is the characteristic the unifying characteristic It's like a paradox the thing that makes old people like is how different from one another they are and the longer we live the less our chronological age says about what we are capable of mentally, physically, what we're like socially, what we're interested in, what we're listening to. So that's why it's particularly ironic to say, oh, you know, 80 year olds are like are, are like such and such. 80 year olds have way less in common than a bunch of 40 year olds who are way more homogenous than a bunch of 20 year olds and so on. And yet we, we think of everyone in a retirement home as the same age, old, right, when they could span four decades, you would never imagine thinking that way of a group of people between age 20 and 60 who are, in fact, way more alike physically, cognitively, socially than a group of 60 to 100-year-olds or 20 to 60-year-olds.
0: Let me put this out there. Is there a pivot point where you decide I'm going to realize that I am the other and the others are like me, or I'm going to kind of continue to age and go into a fear-based isolated place where I'm losing capabilities and the world threatens me, or can you pivot the other way and say, I'm in the same boat as everybody else. I am aging, but there are benefits to it.
1: I think it's different. It's absolutely different for everyone. Um, You know, we, we each age in our own way. You know, one of, one of the central questions is like, where do I, where do I push back and where do I give in? You know, the one, the one, you know, absolutely inevitable thing, negative thing is that some part if cognitive decline is not, not um, inevitable by any means, and it is not universal, I'm happy to give give you data about that, some part of your body is going to fall apart, and maybe more than one, and that is not fun, and it is, you know, with me, it's my bones, and I live in New York, and I walk a lot, and my foot hurts, and that really bugs me, and so it's this push-pull, you know, I go to the physical therapist, and blah, 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 and do everything I can to forestall immobility, but I also need to accept the fact that, you know, and it, frankly, it's terrifying to me, you know, that I, that I'm, I'm not going to remain as mobile as I want to be to the end of my days. We, we did some hiking and I'm not terribly athletic, but we spent our summer vacation in Utah, my partner and I, because I said, I want to hike while I can still hike. So, you know, it is this push pull. I had a woman who said regarding back to women and, and appearance, you know, she said, when am I going to, Stop worrying about looking young, quote unquote. And I always say you can't look young. You always look the age you are. And one 60-year-old looks different from another. But this whole idea of looking young or being young is not a think Think of the characteristic you're after, which is actually youth is not attainable. But do you want to look fresh? Do you want to look energetic? Do you want to look sexy? Those are all things we can be at any age. But anyway, she said, when will I stop worrying about not you know, looking young and just will look my age and not worry about it. And I said, you know, about myself, you know, maybe tomorrow, maybe never, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. We each need to push back around the things that matter to us and keep doing versions of the things we really love because you can always keep doing the things you love as long as you accept that they may change somewhat. You know, you may not be able to ski a black diamond. Skiing is a Bad example, because, you know, that is a pretty tough sport, but you can probably keep skiing till you're very, very old. If you stay in shape, for example, or sex, it may be different than the sex you had that when you were 20. But, you know, the sex I had when I was 20 was nowhere near as good as the sex I'm having now. So, you know, as long as you broaden and change your definition of what that thing is, you asked about that turning point, um. My favorite comment on my book is when people say, wow, like light bulb moments, I didn't realize how ageist I was. That is a painful realization. We are all ageist. I think and do ageist things all the time. And it is uncomfortable to realize that, oh crap, I'm part of the problem. You're part of the problem because you're human and you're honest. So the very first step is to start looking for evidence that you are ageist instead of for evidence like, oh, not me, I'm not one of those biased people because we can't challenge it until we're aware of it. And it's a new idea to a lot of people. Once you start to see it in yourself, You start to see it in the culture, in billboards, in commercials, in the things people say, people say awful, awful things about older people and about themselves as older people, because we have things you would never comments. You would never make on the basis of race or sex. Right. And you start to wake up instantly to like, whoa, that's everywhere. That's not okay. And sociologists have a name for this process too. It's called cognitive liberation. And it really is liberating. And I'm eager to hear what you think because it sounds to me like you're on this cusp, you know, of, whoa, this is not some deficit with me other than waking up a day older, which I actually don't see why I should feel so terrible about. And start to see that it is a problem in the culture that when we come together, we can confront as a social problem that requires collective political action to address, which is why I am fundamentally an activist for a movement to end ageism, the way the women's movement challenged the position of women in society and the gay rights women challenged the position of gay and lesbian people and so
0: on yeah of course Uh, what you describe is we are all ageist and it's part of the human condition so i was a runner for a long time and uh, you know through my 40s i could deny that my performance was declining because i just didn't race as much (laughs) (laughs) and uh but eventually you you run up against it you don't have the energy you had that's the passage of time and again maybe back to a stoic sort of philosophy but it, it it reminds me of the serenity prayer you know grant me the wisdom to know what I can change and, and uh, the whatever to accept what I can't. That's a process. And it takes a while.
1: Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. It is. And aging is, you know, I, I was, I moved uh, almost 15 years ago to a Brooklyn neighborhood where the per capita age is very young. And I made myself this vow, which I later had to recant, but that was back when I was like, I'm going to, you know, in this sort of whole successful thing, I'm going to just, Keep up. And I thought, I'm going to make myself a vow. I'm going to go up the stairs as fast as the person in front of me, who is usually 22. And when they take the stairs two at a time, forget it. But a, a little while ago, I thought, geez, I must be in better shape because this is really getting easier. And then, of course, I realized, sadly, that everyone was getting to the stairs and whipping out their cell phones (laughs) and slowing down because they were looking at their phones. And I was of course, just as slow as ever, if not slower.
0: (laughs) Wow. Another, another benefit of our cell phones and social networks.
1: (laughs) Another illusion shattered.
0: Well, it reminds me, too, of, uh, I I love the book. It was a fun book to read, so full of uh, anecdotes. I mean, there was one, and I forget who said, uh, you know, old people are always people who are 15 years older than I am. Um,
1: It's attributed to many people.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, and then another great anecdote was the the story about Mick Jagger. He was being interviewed by Rolling Stone (laughs) or or somebody, and uh, he talked about the the smile lines, the the lines on his.
1: He said his wrinkles were laugh lines, yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, his wrinkles were laugh lines. And the interviewer said, well, nothing's that funny, <laughs> which is funny. But it's also like you said, it's a put down that um, you would never, you know, there's racism, there's sexism. There's a lot of things that uh, a lot of isms that we recognize are, are beyond rude and unacceptable. But ageism is not quite in that category yet, is it?
1: It should be, of course, because it is discrimination on the basis of something about ourselves that we cannot change. And that really is the, you know, is the dividing line. You know, if you you can change your ideas, you can hopefully change your character and your priorities. Um, but you know, to, to, to criticize someone for, um, you know, something that's just a fixed part of themselves. And we, I mean, I, we could go down a slippery slope about whether you could change your body or change your, your gender, but for the most part, you know, we are what we are, or we are, you know, physically, at least what we appear to be and to, um, restrict, you know, restrict someone's access to, to fundamental freedom, freedoms. I mean, the, the basic premise of ageism and, a it's really ugly to say it out loud, but is that as you age, you lose value as a human being. And who wants to live in that world? I mean, you hear it around um, talks about healthcare, about rationing healthcare. You know, why should we spend money on old people when we could spend it on kids? And the fact is that it is no longer legal to apportion services like healthcare by race or by sex, although it still happens because, of course, we still live in a highly racist and sexist society, but we're making progress, I do think. Um, you know, so t- allocating resources by age is equally unacceptable, period. If you were trying to decide who should, you know, get a lung transplant, you do it on the basis of, of organ function, which is related to age, but a healthy older person benefits just as much. For example, from extreme interventions like CPR and organ transplant and dialysis, and it shouldn't be ruled out just because of age. You know, we need to to put it in the equation along with everything else and not just write people off. You know, for, I mean, one reason being that we, you know, you're, I don't know if you have children, but you, you certainly there's certainly children in your lo- in your life that you love they're probably going to live to be a hundred that that doesn't go on out. Their children aren't going to live to be one hundred and twenty and their children to one hundred and thirty. but we have gained a remarkable thirty years of average lifespan in the u s in the twentieth century about a slightly deceptive number because more people started surviving to adulthood. Um, we redistributed death from the young to the old, more people lived to adulthood but Um, you know, we have to, we have, we need to adapt to a society of longer lives. And it means really recalibrating how we think about longevity and acknowledging the fact that we have this incredible resource of hundreds of thousands of more healthy, well-educated adults than ever before in history. And how do we make the most of them? How do we help all of us not age out of having value and help each other across the generations and the generations have to work together on this younger people you know we, we need help with, with some things older people need, need help with others and of course that's a generalization it's not just to say old people are are rich and will give money to young people and young people are strong and will lift things for old people it can go in every single direction of course but we are in this together and we are in a moment of profound global demographic change, which is of course a challenge, but also an incredible opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Hey, something just flashed across my screen that I want to ask you about. It was I'm on your email list and it, it was an email from me that said, old school is now in session.
1: Hey. <laughs> so I'm
0: sure you have something there that would be worth exploring.
1: Well it's um, it is it's not very sexy unless you are already interested in ageism. So I would say to your listeners that if if ageism is new to you, just noodle around my website for for starters, which has a definition. It's um, thischairrocks.com. There's a consciousness raising guide there that I'm happy to talk about, which is a free download. My book is not free. But it is available. It's, it's 15 or 20 bucks, depending where you get it. Although it won't be available on Amazon for the next six months starting in a week because a big publisher is bringing it out. I self-published it. But you can still get it through my site. Um, so but what old school is is something i am indeed launching right this minute so that's exciting it is a resource it is a, a clearinghouse of free anti-ageism resources if you agree that ageism is a real problem in our society and you want to feel different about your own aging or you want to teach other people to wake up to their own ageism or you want to just learn more about it there are books and blogs and papers from organizations and public speakers and it's um oldschool.info and it is a site where you can find all kinds of resources for learning about ageism and how we can end it. And everything on there
0: is free. That's great. I mean, I thought the whole book was uh again scrupulously researched and you had a lot of really interesting thinkers and, and writers and, and a lot to explore. And by the end, it's really a call to action. And that that sounds like what your your class is too. Um collection of resources and this is not something to take really sitting down. It, it's something to uh, change your thought processes about. And you mentioned your social network. It's the people you talk to every day. What are some of the things you suggest a person can do to confront ageism in themselves and around them?
1: Yeah. Thank you for that question. I mean, the first thing you you have to do is, of course, want to do it, is take your head out of the sand, but I would submit that most of us and this is the reason the whole reason I started this project uh, twelve years ago twelve years ago and i'm i'm 66 now was because I was afraid of aging and I just thought why am I so scared I mean I knew I knew why I was scared, but it turned out that a lot of the reasons that I was, things I were scared about, I either literally had wrong or had way out of proportion. I'll just give one example. I thought the odds of ending up in some, you know, horrible linoleum hallway in a nursing home were pretty good. The percentage of Americans over 65 in nursing homes, not not just all senior residences, but nursing homes, is 2.5%. And it has dropped from 4% in the 10 years I've been working on this, Right. So I would say first of all if you are afraid and you want to feel less afraid and more educated and more informed about it and I I feel like I'm peddling snake oil, but you know I you can hear the smile in my voice it's like once you start to see these things it's like it's like a little kid looking under the bed for a dragon you know there is a dragon you're going to get older some part of your body is going to fall apart you are eventually going to die but just looking is hugely liberating and when you start to see these messages you feel better. The next thing you could do you could read my book or you could start and or you could start a consciousness raising group. Consciousness raising is the tool that catalyzed the women's movement and it's kind of an old fashioned term but it's also kind of beautifully self-explanatory. Women came together and compared notes and realized that what they had been thinking of as personal problems, whether, you know, their husband wouldn't, you know, let them have money of their own, or they couldn't get promoted at work, or someone kept patting them on the butt. These were widely shared uh, political, they were widely shared experiences that, that had to be combated politically, right, in a group, and that when we came together in a group to confront them, we could change things. So, on my website under resources, the the first resource I think is called Who Me Ageist, How to Start a Consciousness Raising Group. Download it and just read through it and start thinking about how you think about aging and how you use the words old and young. And see where that gets you and then hopefully it will take some of you to the next step, which is where you decide to take to learn more and to take that changed mindset out into the culture and maybe say something when someone says something ageist, you know, when someone calls me young lady, I sometimes I snarl at them, but I try not to, you know, and now I say, why would you, why would you call me young lady? you know, just flat, just like not in a snarky way. Or, you know, why would you say that someone says something really derogatory about how old people can't, you know, work a cell phone? Um, You know, why would you think that? Why would you say that in just a very neutral tone? And then the person has to think about, well, gee, why did I say that, you know, and start slowly, slowly to plant these seeds of, um, you know, of, of questioning in the culture about why do we why do we accept these genuinely negative things about um, old people when, when we look around us and we see evidence everywhere of exceptions and the fact that, like all prejudice, it's not based in, in reality.
0: Right. You talk about um, super geezers, people who you know, somehow defy the odds. And you know we all know people like that who have charged ahead, oblivious to the passage of years, I guess. That's not the goal, though. I mean, we're talking about,
1: it's the goal mm-hmm. for them, you know. The super geezers—I I coined the term "super geezers"—building um, on a term from disability rights, who talk about people in that field talk about super crip's, the, the, the you know the people with the bionic legs, um, the, the the extraordinary athletes, or the you know people people with disabilities doing completely ordinary things—kissing, dancing, you know, driving to the grocery store—but who are heralded as super and heroic. Um, And held up as these models, you know, the super geezers would be the marathoners Don't get me started on the 80 year olds jumping out of airplanes You know because I really really don't want to jump out of an airplane or you know the pole dancers or whatever (laughs) They're great more power to them, but they are outliers and we need to see them as such And if you really want to jump out of an airplane fantastic Seeing an older person do it may give you the courage to fulfill this life dream fantastic but let's remember that you don't have to jump out of airplanes or run a marathon to be successful, to be an exemplar. And, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, the media loves extremes. And let's face it, those are the dramatic stories we all click on. We're all human. We're all complicit in this, right? But is, you know, is, is the 60-year-old woman with early onset Alzheimer's, you know, curled up in a bed like a tiny little bird, you know, who can't, who's completely incapacitated, Two things on that, you know, we need to acknowledge that aging embraces both these extremes because we can't turn away from either of them. It's, a, it's the universal human experience. Super important to realize, to acknowledge that healthy aging can and does involve disability, right? And people with disabilities will tell you that they are not sick. And you know, and if I end up having to use a walker or one day a wheelchair, I'm gonna use them because I still wanna get around. And I hope they'll be, you know, cool looking by then and way less and whatever. But I, you know, I'm going to assure people that I'm not sick and I'm still in the world. And we really need to embrace a vision of old age that is as diverse as humanity itself and not think that that oldness has to be in maintaining this um, adherence to your younger Regiment because it's impossible. None of us can do it. As I pointed out, it's very expensive and it's available to only a few. And it sets us up to fail because sooner or later, hello luck. You know you're gonna. You're just. Bill Thomas is a geriatrician. If you read Atul Gawande's book *Being Mortal*, he's the one who let the parakeets out in the nursing home, and he has this fabulous phrase about the tyranny of still the idea that as long as we're still running up the stairs or still dating younger women or still driving at night, you know, whatever it happens to be. And we all have our stills. Again, we all do this, that somehow we can stop the clock and it's all going to be okay. And you know, that's just, it's not possible to stop the clock. And why should that be something to celebrate? What we should adapt to and learn to celebrate. And you said it so beautifully, you know, is the idea that everything changes. We're all moving along this highway and to support each other, to help people who might be having trouble with some aspect of it, because you're going to need help from them on your, your algebra problem or your lacrosse training. You know, we need that kind of help in high school and we need it all the way along. It's not something that old people just need from younger people. It's a beautiful reciprocal thing that is lifelong. No one is ever independent we need to let go of this idea that we can somehow be independent and that that is the way to age successfully because all of life is interdependence. And if we, it's a great phrase from a Dutch gerontologist that autonomy requires collaborators, right? If you want, if you want help, especially at the end, you know, around your death, you better talk to who you think will be around there with you and around what you think you want, because they're the people who are going to help you get it. And that is not a sad thing. That's a
0: beautiful thing. That's a great mental construct there. Autonomy requires collaborators because what you're talking about is Building a bigger box in your head for these ideas, being more tolerant of right. uh, the losses that you're going to, each of us is going to sustain. And,
1: and not not saying it's binary, not as victory loss, not as independent dependent, as just a continuum. Yeah, a
0: change. A change. In yourself and in others. And again, back to the social network, it, it requires collaborators, it requires you to reach out to maybe change your response to somebody who tosses you an ageist insult, but broadening your horizon to.
1: And and that that makes me think there's an anecdote in the book. I went to a physiatrist for a while, one of the millions of people propping up my skeleton. And he described going to a um, a social function out in the, he lived in the burbs somewhere and seeing this guy who used to be like a big wheeler dealer and big golfer and local schmoozer and seeing him hunched over a walker. And he sort of screwed up his courage and went over and said, hey, Sal, how are things? And Sal looked up with a big smile and he said, other than walk, I can do, he said, I can do everything except walk with a huge smile. And that was that guy's reality. Because he had a good attitude and he was, you know, he was, he was out in the world. And that was a shift for my friend. It was like, oh, here I was filled with pity for how awful his life must be and he can You know maybe he
0: started it. years ago as an old person in training to kind of set himself up for look yeah <laughs> as as you said a couple times things are going to fall apart we're going <laughs> to
1: Not everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but something is and yep. it's okay.
1: It's okay. It's inevitable. And you know if you you, I, you know it's nothing that People, I mean, I'm not a spiritual person, but it's not its not a lesson that any of the world religions don't teach. You know, Buddhism comes to mind, but Hinduism also. It's like we're all in this river of life.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, and you said something earlier. Um, I do have a son. He'll probably live to be 100. I think I might get there. Excellent. My own dad, uh, he always thought he was going to die at 63 because his father uh, had, had a long career on the railroad and then retired and Went on vacation to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and, and climbed up a bunch of steps when he oh, got off the train and and dropped oh dead. No. So, my dad, for decades, thought, okay, that's the line. I'm going to make it there. And then that's the end of my life. Today, he's 93. He's doing great. He drives. He works out.
1: Today?
0: Today. He's,
1: oh, oh, not today. It's no, not it's no his he'll be, it'll be 94 <laughs> in February.
0: But, um, you know, oh, he, he made it 30 years past what he thought he would. And he's still very vibrant and going strong. So for all these baby boomers, um, you know, we are the biggest generation in history and there's a ways to go yet. There
1: is a ways to go if we're lucky and if we can be, you know, informed and less, you know, less, less, um, sort of, do we have this sort of knee jerk fear and people think it's, well, ageism is based in fear of dying. I don't think so. I think older people, it's related to death, of course. Older people are reminders of mortality. But if you look at you or me, and of course, we're just on the radio. So take, take our word for it. We're fantastic looking and unbelievably attractive. Um, you know, or whatever we are, attractive or not, we're full of energy. And we're, you know, we're with it. We're in the world. People don't look at us or listen to us and think, oh, listen to those dying people. Right. And yet, I mean, I don't know how even know how old you are, but I'm 66. You know, I'm, I'm around in the third turn on the track. The reasons we are so afraid of dying are very only a very small piece of that is based in fear of dying. One thing I learned early on, and again, I was super skeptical. I thought, well, obviously, one of the other things that sucks about getting older because it's all going to suck is that you get that the death gets closer and closer, and how awful that must be every day. This reality, and I It was true of the people I interviewed. I learned it from geriatricians. Then I saw the data. The older people are, the less they fear dying. It's like, because the awareness that time is short does not fill people with dread. That's not the way it works psychologically. Of course, there are exceptions, but for the vast majority of us, the awareness that time is short helps us live in the moment. And that is why children and very old people are the happiest. And if you look, and again, when I found, looked this up, I thought it was, they found 280 year olds and gave them a cookie. It's called the U curve of happiness, Google it. And it shows in every culture, everywhere in the world, independent of how rich you are, whether you're married, whether you're healthy, people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. Because we grow less afraid of dying. And other psychological regions too, I mean, the, the way because of the ways in which aging itself affects the brain, which is kind of amazing.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. Like we talked about earlier, you, you have accumulated wisdom and that's something to be happy about. I mean, it, it kind of seeps into you.
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't use wisdom much because I see lots of old people who don't seem to have learned a thing along the way. (laughs) So I'm a little leery of the, in fact, I could, I could be snarky and say, you know, the wise elder is just another ageist stereotype. Stereotypes can be benevolent as well. And I know, you know, haven't you ever met that child, that spooky child that you think, Oh, this child actually knows everything, you know, the wise child. So I don't think wisdom is the province of the old. Sometimes that makes me a little unpopular, but I also think that, of course, as we age, we gain experience. And if you learn from that, you're more likely to be wise. And you know, it is a tragedy, frankly, to, to shunt older people who do know all these things and have all these experiences and this knowledge, um, mainly through, through, through age segregation and society. I mean, a really, really important thing is to have friends of all ages. We live in a shockingly age-segregated society. But one way to do that is to think of something you like to do and find an, an all-age group to do it with. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's knitting. Guys knit now. You know, maybe it's birdwatching. Maybe it's reading, whatever it is. But, you know, we have this idea, oh, that old slash young person won't want to talk to me. When, we, when you walk into a, a social gathering, go talk to the oldest or youngest person in the room. And guess what? Maybe, maybe there'll be an idiot who won't be happy to talk to you, but most people are not idiots. And, you know, they're perfectly happy to talk to you. And then that's how our own internalized prejudice gets broken down. Oh, they didn't mind that I came over and talked to them, and they were really interesting. And maybe, and we haven't seen that movie yet. So we'll go see that together next week. I mean, it's not that simple. I don't mean to make it like, you know, a, a sitcom, but that is how age, that is how society changes, that's how integration, that's how consciousness shifts. So having friendships with people of all ages is really important. And that way, when the people you've known all your lives die, you have new people to keep you connected to the world and to come bring you groceries and wipe your butt.
0: Yeah, maybe less than.
1: Just kidding about <laughs> yeah. the wipe your butt, but making sure making sure someone's wiping your butt, right? Maybe making sure you're wiping your butt.
0: <laughs> well, and perhaps, uh, yeah, less less uh, wisdom than just sort of acceptance, or um, uh, uh, yeah, less anxiety, more comfort in your own skin.
1: Knowledge, experience, absolutely, and and less anxiety. Tons of evidence that shows that as we get better. As we age, we get better at modulating um, anxiety and social anxiety, fear, all that stuff. We get better at assessing and sort of not sweating the small stuff at being more equanimable. Older people have better mental health than younger people. I assumed like all people were sad and depressed because they were old. Not so. There is depression in older people, but often they were depressed as younger people too, But then because of ageism, we think, oh, well, of course she's depressed, she's old, right? We also think older people are underdiagnosed and undertreated for countless illnesses, depression in particular because of the ageist and false notion that, oh, can't teach an old dog new tricks or, you know, she's been doing blah, blah for 30 years, she'll never change. Totally false. Older people benefit just as much from talk therapy and other kinds of therapy as people of all ages.
0: Wow. That's a realization we all need to come to and uh, in ourselves and, and the people around us. So,
1: Well, I love that you say in ourselves because that's step one. Look at it in yep. yourself. It's unpleasant, but then really, I mean, you know, I, you say it in your words, you know, then you start to feel you know, to to, to to to, be liberated because you start to see the phenomenon for what it is, a social situation, not a personal failing or flaw.
0: And I'm fifty-eight, I'll say it.
1: Excellent. Uh,
0: one. <laughs> I'm at the tail end of the baby boom, maybe. So there are a lot of people uh in my career who are ten years older than me and uh got there a little before me, but um, you know, p- part of the whole group and I think we all need to uh, Take a look, realize this and uh, get involved. Um, and I think your book does a great service to oh, thank you. Um, kind of being the clarion call for something that's been roundly ignored until now.
1: I mean, let's, let's be less afraid. Be less afraid.
0: Yeah. And like we said at the top, baby boomers have always challenged the, the status quo and uh, kind of shaken things up. And maybe this is uh, the next thing that we're going to do.
1: I love that mobilize against ageism make make prejudice on the basis of age as unacceptable as any other form of prejudice and in the process bring the generations together and help the help the baby boom help us help ourselves and encourage um, younger people too to help us remain contributing members of society
0: That is a terrific message and uh, with that I think we can wrap it up and we'll uh, again can you repeat your website
1: Oh sure. Um, my uh, weird name is Ashton Applewhite. Um, I didn't make it up. My website is thischairrocks.com or you can find um, a resources page. It's thischairrocks.com slash resources, but you'll see a menu bar where you can find the consciousness raising guide and a link to my book. Another thing you can find there is a Q&A blog I started called Yo, Is This ageist? Based on a fantastic blog called Yo, Is This Racist? Which is hilarious and brilliant where if you see or uh, encounter or wonder whether something you see encounter is ageist, send it in to me. Uh, It's sort of, it's it's kind of like an ethics column, really. And I'll tell you what I think, and there's, you know, and you can scroll through stuff there, you know, road signs, um, all sorts of stuff, whether or not it's ageist and why, if you wanna, because this is a new idea to people, and that's a way to look and and get an idea of, of some stuff you might keep an eye out for in yourself and in the culture. With the idea of of educating yourself and starting to speak out when you encounter it, and helping move this uh, revolution along,
0: and and having fun with it too, always. Well, thank you, Ashton. Uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, we think it's an important message, and I'm happy to help get it out there.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.